I'm going to pull my teacher hat out today, so if you don't not have, if you don't not have don't a bulletin, you need one. So the ushers are here. I've got notes for you in your bulletin, so pull out that, that Jewish betrothal customs. Don't be afraid of it. It'll be, oh my gosh, and it's going to blow you away. But you'll need that. If you don't have one, let, raise your hands, let the guys know. This is all going to fit together in such a powerful way. I've been waiting for, for the time for about a year and a half to share this incredible teaching with you. Next week is World Communion Sunday. It's one of the most special worship experiences I know because it's at that time where we realize that all around the world, brothers and sisters in Christ in the faith are gathering at the table together. And I want you to know this teaching so you can chew on it and really digest it this week so that when you come back next week, you are hungry and you know a deeper meaning for the way in which Jesus loves you. Let me just say, don't hold back. This is a place of safety. This should be your sanctuary. Don't hold back. If tears are coming, if you feel like in the middle you just need to come and pray, don't hold back for where the the Spirit is leading you today. All right. All throughout scripture, the marriage analogy is used. And I want to help you understand that a bit more because we, the church, the believers of Jesus Christ, are called the bride of Christ. Jesus is our bridegroom. And I want you to hear and digest that analogy. So first we're going to go to Isaiah 61, and I'm just going to read several verses to you. You have to understand that even though the Old Testament is the Old Testament, everything is leading us to the time of Jesus and our time after this side of the cross. So chapter 61 in Isaiah is a picture of what Jesus' ministry is going to be to and with us as the bride of Christ. Listen to this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. Now listen to this. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. That crown is literally a garland, which is a bridal headpiece, to bestow on us a crown of beauty rather than ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now I'm going to skip over to verse 7. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance, so they will inherit a double portion of their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. Verse 10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, 
for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. That's where we step in. This is what we are here to declare, to claim fully today. He has clothed me with garments of salvation, has arrayed me in a robe of righteousness that is our identity as believers in Jesus Christ. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, that's the garland, the the bridal headpiece. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Then we go on to Isaiah 62, verse 4. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hezebah. That means my delight is in her. That's us. God delights in us. Your land will be called Beulah. Have you, some of you heard that old, old song, Dwelling in Beulah Land? Beulah means married, married to the bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ. We will be married to Jesus, the bridegroom. For the Lord will take delight in you. Your land will be married as a young man marries a maiden, so your sons will marry you. A bridegroom rejoices over his bride. So will your God rejoice over you. You need to understand that Israel... Jerusalem, the people, the chosen people, the Jewish people strayed from God. But there was a remnant. And this week, go to Romans 11. It talks about the remnant. It talks about 7,000 Jews who did not stray from God. But it also talks about us, all of us as Gentiles, the, the other folks who were grafted in to the inheritance through Jesus Christ our Lord. you got to understand that. There is one bride, Jews and Gentiles, all will come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It's not, we're not there yet, you understand that. But it's coming, the day of our Lord, when Jesus comes back, there will be a time when all people who make the choice, hey, are going to get married to the bridegroom. Does that make sense to you so far? Romans chapter 11, you got to study that. Now, Jesus talks about himself as a bridegroom. Go to John 3. You need this background, and I'm trying to to get it to you as quickly as I can. I'm so excited about this. John 3, starting with the 28th verse. This was John talking. People were questioning, and there was a a rabbi and a Jew, and they were asking, okay, who is this Jesus guy? And this is what John answered, verse 28. I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. Do you hear what John is saying? I'm not the man. Jesus is the man. But I'm the one that gets to tell about the man. I'm his friend who is coming to herald you to say, Hey, wake up. The bridegroom is coming. That joy is mine. It's now complete. Verse 30, John says, He, Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. 
You'll want to see in Matthew 9, 15, that's another place where, where Jesus identifies himself as the bridegroom. You just need to know that for reference. All right, so why is this so important? You see, the Jewish picture of marriage helps us to get a better glimpse of the relationship that God desires and has designed for us. God wants us to be in full marriage relationship with Jesus, the bridegroom. So we're going to go through these Jewish betrothal customs, and I promise you, if you are expectant, you are going to be blown away. What I want to do is talk you through what happens when a Jewish family is preparing for marriage. And in italics, I have tried to put what's happening with Jesus. So you just kind of follow along and hopefully the Spirit will help you understand. Marriage was arranged. The father chose the bride. When the, the daddy picked out a girl for their son, the father and son leave their home. They travel to the girl's home. And the purpose is strictly to establish a covenant. Now that's called in, in Hebrew, ketubah. And that's what we would call a prenuptial agreement today. It outlines all of the responsibilities of the groom and what he's going to do for the bride. The ketubah is a legal document. It's broken only by divorce. So then a bridal price is established. And the price the father is willing to pay for the bride indicates the value that he puts on that girl. Now, anytime I say bride, we're it. Are you with me so far? The price the father pays indicates the value he places on the bride. There's a betrothal date that's set, and look what it says. The son does whatever it takes. He sells whatever is necessary. He sacrifices everything to get ready for the marriage. Then there is a ritual immersion. It's a symbol of a spiritual cleansing. It means that they are separating from their old life. They are putting away their old life. And they are taking on the new marriage covenant life. I included our liturgy for baptism here because it makes perfect sense. Some of you have been immersed. And that symbolism of immersion is so incredible. You die to the old life and you are raised to the new life in Christ Jesus. It's the same symbolism here when the, the bride and the bridegroom are preparing for marriage. They are dying to their old life, the old self. 2 Corinthians 5.17, isn't that the place where it says in, in Christ we are all new creations? The old has passed away, the new has come. When the betrothal date arrives, they go to the girl's house and they have to publicly declare that they agree to be betrothed to one another. And, and there is a cup of wine that is poured, and it is set out, 
And it is not until both the bride and the bridegroom agree to the covenant that they drink the cup. The marriage covenant is presented. It lists, it is a legal document, so it lists all of the stuff that they are agreeing to. And it reminds them of the covenant they are about to make. Do you see the scripture that that is included there? Are you getting it? Oh my goodness. Then the father asks the bride. The father asks us if we accept the proposal. If the girl agrees, the daddy gives the cup to the groom, symbolizing his willingness to sacrifice in order to make her his bride. You remember that time? Matthew 26, when Jesus fell with his face to the ground. I don't want to do this, Father. If you can take this cup away from me. But he ended his prayer with not my will but thine, O Lord. And he drank the cup for us. The bride drinks, and she signifies her willingness to enter into this marriage. And look what it says. I'm at number 10 if you've lost me. I accept your gift. I accept your life. And I offer you my life in return. Once they drink, the young man hands over, he's paid, he hands over the bridal price to the father. He presents gifts to the the bride-to-be, pledging his love and promising that he will return. Oh my goodness. Now she is set apart. She enters into a season of sanctification. I need you to understand that this is where we are. If you are a professing believer in Jesus Christ, we are in that sanctification process. It's the whole United Methodist, John Wesley thing. Before we were even born, he was working to woo us, to to court us, to draw him to himself, draw us to himself. That's provenient grace. And then that moment when we say yes, when we convert and we say, I am a sinner, I want you, Lord, to be my Savior. That's justifying grace, just as if we have never sinned. And then the rest of our life is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is our time of sanctification where we are set apart. Then the bride promises to pay a dowry. Well, what in the world is our dowry? A yielded life. It is a choice for you. It is a choice for me to be living a life that is set apart. Being in the world but not of the world. Living out our righteousness. Write down Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That is our dowry. All right, next page. The groom makes a speech. He tells his bride, I go to prepare a place for you. 
I will come back for you when it is ready. Sound familiar? You remember that, that night in the upper room when, when the disciples were so concerned because Jesus said, I have to go? And what did he tell them? I'm going to prepare a place for you. You see, everything about this marriage covenant is something that the people of Jesus, the Jews, could understand. So much of what is a part of our belief is based on this marriage covenant. He leaves the covenant with the bride and she wears a veil outwardly signifying that she is set apart, that she is taken, that she is betrothed. She takes on his name. Right then, she is considered his wife with the authority and the rights and the privileges. Just a side note, you remember the the Christmas story when we say Mary was betrothed to Joseph? This is it. It's the same thing. It's the Jewish wedding custom. That's that's why it was so significant that Joseph chose to do what he did because he had every right to divorce her. You see, in those times, it was just the guy's choice. The woman didn't have any say. I mean, really, Joseph could have divorced her. So the groom goes back to his father's house and And the really cool thing is, the father and the groom work together to build on to their house in an effort to make it better than the bride has ever experienced. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. The bride prepares her wedding garment, consecrates herself. It is a continuous time of preparation. This is where God's calling us, my friends. We're in that time. Are you ready for a wedding? You know, we talk about Jesus is coming back. That's what scripture means by the the day of the Lord. It's going to happen. And at that time, that's what Revelation is all about. We talk about the wedding feast. But are you making your life uh, an example? Are you living your life in such a way that you're preparing for the wedding? Then there's extra lamps and oil to be available. Now, I need to interject here. I'm going to go to Matthew 25 because hopefully this will help you make more sense. You probably have read this this parable before, but oh my goodness, it's all going to make sense, I hope. Matthew 25, it's called the parable of the ten virgins. It's what Jesus was teaching. At that time, we could insert here the day of the Lord, at the second coming of Jesus. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. You know what that means? They were ready. There's an old spiritual that says, keep your lamps trimmed and burning because we don't know when the day of the Lord will occur. Are you getting ready for the wedding? 
verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time in coming, right? And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, they trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. Do you know who that is? Those are the people who think they can get by with just slipping around, doing their own thing. But hey, when Jesus comes, give me some of your oil. God is calling us to live a life that's set apart. Verse 9, no, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other ones also said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, Jesus is telling us today, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Number 21, it's a season of waiting and this, my friends, is where we are. Now look what the bride does. Are you, am I, fitting into this picture? The bride tells everyone about her beloved. There's nothing she can do to earn her beloved's heart or to win his love. They already belong to each other. Let me put in a note here that no matter what you have done, now is the time to just say, Jesus, I need you. There is nothing that you have done that makes him love you less, and there is nothing that you have to do to make him love you more. Thanks be to God. If the bride gets tired in her waiting and gets tired of living a life and telling about her beloved, she remembers the price that was paid for her. Next Sunday, we are coming to this very place, and we are coming to the table of the Holy Sacrament. And you know what our liturgy says? This is the body of Jesus Christ. Every time you eat it, remember me. This is the blood of the new covenant. Every time you drink of it, remember me. Then the groom sends her a gift. It's usually gold. She gets her bridesmaids ready and they sleep in the same room and she gets dressed because she doesn't want to miss the wedding. What is our wedding dress? It's what I read about in Isaiah, those garments of righteousness. It's that garland that Jesus has given us through his blood that was shed on the cross. Are you dressed for the wedding? Then the groom surprises his bride, just like scripture says. It's often at night. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul tells us, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When he's close, the, the groom sends out his friends to, to alert the, the, the bride and her bridesmaids. 
The bridegroom's coming. He's coming. Hey, get ready. And then the shofar, the trumpet, the Jewish trumpet is blown. And she has time just to light her own lamp. She can't waste any time trying to light anybody else's at that point. You understand? Look at 1 Corinthians 15. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. That's when we receive our glorified resurrection bodies. And then the groom takes his bride to his father's house and they celebrate. I hope that you will take this and and just read it and study it and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things to you this week. Because, quite frankly, the love of our God through Jesus Christ is overwhelming me. It amazes me so. You understand that our Lord and Savior paid the bridal price. Do you understand what that meant? I'll ask the band to get ready because we're going to sing Jesus paid it all. And that's it. He paid our bridal price. He shed his blood in a very horrific execution on the cross so that we might not only have forgiveness of sins, but that we could join him on the wedding day. This is amazing to me. There's nothing that you have done that is not forgivable. There's nothing that you... There's nothing. No shame, no guilt, no all of that baggage, the fear, the doubt, the addictions, whatever, the temptations that you're facing. There is nothing that cannot be reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. So as we sing this song today, I want you just to to take it in. But I also have a sense that many of you will want to come and just kneel before your Lord and Savior. Because perhaps, like me, you have more or less strayed and you want to get back on the path. You want to know, you want to tell Jesus that you want to get ready for the wedding. However God is calling you to respond, I pray that you do so. Because we got to keep our lamps trimmed and burning. we got to be ready. We don't want to miss it. And I also want to say, if you have not made a choice, if you have not asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and you got some questions, or you really don't understand, or talk to Brent, or Craig, or me, talk to any of your brothers or sisters who you know are followers of Jesus, but don't leave without asking some questions. <laughs>